when I hit rock bottom in life, to, for that to be exacerbated by the fact that I had neglected the stabilizing relationships and forces in my life in lieu of positioning my life. It was a horrible place to be. Hey friend, it's David Nabinsky here in Brooklyn. Here at the Portfolio Career Podcast, we help you take ownership of your portfolio career and design the life that you want to live. Today's conversation is with Isa Watson. Isa is the founder of Squad and the author of a brand new book called Life Beyond Likes, Logging Off Your Screen and Into Your Life. This conversation was recorded in an apartment in Brooklyn where you hear other people ask questions on air, where I literally hand them a mic for them to ask their questions. I call these episodes and events podcast mixers, and this is the 11th edition of an episode, an event like this. In this episode, you'll learn social media tips, characteristics of friendship, why she started building Squad and her personal tragedy and journey to starting the company, and so much more. As always, this episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my Substack called Portfolio Career, where I share the best insights from the podcast every two weeks, and you can also sign up for my free podcasting course. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Isa. Cool. Isa, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, um, social media. Mm -hmm. How would you describe uh, your relationship to social media these days? Uh, Previously a toxic relationship, now very indifferent and a lot more healthy. How do you think it became more healthy? I think I started moving with intentionality. You know, social media is, and I know we have some social media folks here, but, you know, we've developed these passive habits around how we use social media, and we've lacked intentionality about not just how we use it, but how it makes us feel about ourselves, our self-worth, our progress in life. And I got caught up in that comparison trap. Um, You know, the average American's using social media three and a half hours out of the day. Uh, If you take out sleep, you take out work, that's 40% of your free time. And I also got caught in that trap. And so I actually took a social media hiatus for a while. Um, And it just kind of recalibrated and regrounded myself in my own life. And um, now I'm a lot more aware of my habits. Like Instagram, I don't scroll it. Facebook, I'm on specifically for skydiving. LinkedIn, (laughs) I'm on because my comms team made me. And um, TikTok, it gives me anxiety, so I don't do it. Okay. Um, has anyone here taken a social media hiatus before? Oh, wow. Fair amount of people. I have not. Uh, <laughs> you have, <laughs> maybe we should start there. <laughs> on what is a social media hiatus and how could we, how could I, I guess, um, take one? I think for me, it just got to a point, it was actually be- the beginning of COVID. And I think that, you know, social media overall, what is it? It is essentially putting your highlight reel on the internet for everyone else to consume. You know, the one rule posits that 90% of social media users are really lurkers, 9% are light engagers, and 1% are the content creators. And so we, we got caught up in like conflating consumption with connection, essentially. And so for me, um, you know, and for a lot of people, what it turned us into is excessive validation seekers. 
we started seeking validation from people we would never laugh in the same room with. And that's a really like toxic place to be when you're not validating yourself and you kind of lose that connection. And you're like, hey, that stranger that I'll never see again, I want you to validate me. And so, um, you know, I, I, I remember looking at my Instagram one day, my best friend is a, uh, my best friend from college, she's a dentist in Texas. And she said, you, you know, Isa, if, if people looked at your Instagram, they would think your life was perfect. And I was like, you're kidding, right? It, I was like, it's far from perfect. And it made me realize that I went through and I scrolled through my Instagram and I was like, wow, I actually have no pictures with my actual friends. But what did I have? I had the flexing stuff like, oh, my God, Inc. 30 under 30, top 100 MIT alumni. I had the, you know, pictures at Puff's house for Grammy's weekend or, you know, at Alicia Keys birthday party. They're not my friends. I happen to be there. But like me and Puff don't like go get therapy together and shit like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, And so I, when I looked at that, I was like, why did I put that on there? And I was like, I just didn't recognize myself. And I was, it just made me cringe. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to get off and just kind of reground myself in my own life and come back when I'm ready. And then you came back and so you said this was COVID. So this is 2020, 2021? Yeah, it was like mid-2020. Okay. And then that one line that you said there, the you were using social media for connection when you shouldn't have? Is it, can you expand upon that a little bit more? Yeah, I say that, you know, we've conflated consumption with connection. The reality is that with social media, we're consuming everyone else's, not their lives, by the way. We're consuming their perfected highlight reels because what they're posting is their marriages, their engagements, their babies, their love stories, not their divorces, not their miscarriages, not the fact that they get passed over for a promotion. And it's easy to get caught into the trap of looking at someone's perfected highlight reel and comparing your whole life to it and then feeling lesser than. And so, you know, I think that, you know, I think that social media has actually tarnished friendships in a really big mm. way um, because of that conflation of consumption with connection because we assume that we're caught up with our friend when we scroll on Instagram or Facebook or wherever and we just double tap their their posts, we double tap their highlight reel. But that doesn't mean we're really tapped in with them. You know, for friendship is, I put present. You know, the three components of friendship, according to researchers, are unconditional presence, unconditional support, and trust. And that requires a lot of intentionality that has to also transpire off social media. Um. For the listeners, I was pointing to a, a wall that has uh, sticky notes of uh, answers to a prompt of friendship is blank. Um, so, okay, so highlight reel, uh, and you said it might be hurting relationships. What do you, how, um, how do we move around that? How do we improve our relationships with our actual friends, even if they, we see their highlight reel on social media? We're like, hey, that's a great flex. You're hanging out with Puff Daddy, but like, yo, can we grab coffee? Like, is that? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that I also realized that I actually didn't interact with my real friends on social mm -hmm. media. We would share memes and DMs or something like that from time to time, like, <laughs> oh my God, look at this funny video, but we never really interacted. And at least not in a meaningful way. And so um, I think when it comes to friendship, you know, I talked about those three components, but there's intentionality, mm -hmm. period, that needs to happen. And, you know, I tell people we live in New York City and we have a lot of type A career driven people here. 
I'm one of them as well. But what I also know is that we're very intentional about our work calendars and all the meetings because we got the committee meetings, the end of week meetings, the presentations, the post meeting for the pre meeting for the re meeting for the re meeting. <laughs> and we show up prepared to every single one of those meetings. But then when it comes to friendship time and I say, hey, when's the last time you talked to your best friend? It's not uncommon for people to say something like more than a month. And I tell people, if we had just a little bit more intentionality in our what I call friendship calendar, right? And just pick a block of time in the week, whether it's Thursday nights for like a dinner or whether it's like Saturday morning brunches, block that out every week and make that friendship time and just fill it in with a different person or, you know, fill it in with your friends. And it doesn't always have to be in person. It could also be, you know, hey, I'm gonna just call this person because my best friend also moved away and they're, now they're in California. Um, and so I think that, you know, we have to, friendship is just such an untapped source of joy right now. Mm. Um, and I think that being intentional about incorporating friendship into our, you know, our habits, you know, it, it, it'll elevate our joy in, in a big way. And also it, it'll be the antidote for our consistent burnout. Mm. Mm. Uh, you mentioned friendship as, um, an underrated source for joy. Um, how has, um, friendship, uh, helped you kind of build in your company? You know, I think that building a company requires a village. Not I think that, I know that. <laughs> and uh, quite frankly, I've, I have the village of the investor types. I have the village of the mentor types. I have the village of, you know, all of the people. But, you know, when you're building a company, you are consistently getting told no, consistently falling on your face. And there's a village that you literally have to have as a human, mm. you know, to kind of continue to stand back up every day and say, you know what, I got this. And so when I actually uh, started, when I left JP Morgan to start Squad, you know, I, I realized that my friendship situation wasn't quite giving what it needed to give. And what I meant by that is that I had spent the better half of my 20s gallivanting all around New York City, going to all the things I could possibly go to, but building a ton of loose connection friends, mm. right? I, I say that uh, Facebook, for example, is like where friendships kind of hang on life support. And that's essentially like where a lot of my friends were, but I was just kind of like, you know, whatever. And so what I did is I consolidated in a massive way because I, I think quantity, quality over quantity was the key for me. And I focused on about five friendships. And I said, I'm gonna be intentional about those, right. five. And I'm gonna invest in those. Researchers show that you can have 150 meaningful relationships, Dunbar's never, which I'm sure you know, but really only five close friendships at a time. And so um, when, I, when I, I did spring cleaning, and when I brought that in, I was a much happier person. Mm. I was a much more fulfilled person. And I was a person who actually knew how to then ask for support, right? Because friendship is bi-directional and it needs to be strong. And I think as it pertains to being an entrepreneur, one of the things we have to learn how to do is ask for what we need. Mm. And so when I need support, whether it be emotional support, mental support, psychological support, whatever it is, I built and strengthened my friendships to the point where I could do that and they could, you know, pour into me in that way. Five. Wow. 
Um, and I know you think you have like 50. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you purged. Okay. And then, and that, when did you do the cleanse? Is that after the hiatus or before the hiatus? Before the hiatus. Okay. Okay. So the hiatus actually didn't really impact me that much personally. It just was more so, okay, now I'm not consuming the lives of all these other people. And I, I started to think to myself, even though it's like very foul, the habit that we got into of wanting to be so up and close and personal to people we would never meet. I actually don't even want to know what Beyonce is doing every day. You know, and I like it's not that I don't like Beyonce. I like her music, but I don't want to be up in her business like that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so <laughs> um, I realized that what I needed in life, I wasn't getting from social media. But to be very clear, I want to make sure you guys know I'm not a social media abolitionist. I'm in the camp of just make sure that you are managing it and it isn't managing you. Uh, and what is if someone was trying to. Uh, what does that look like uh, where social media is not managing you and you're managing it? Um, you know, studies show, endless studies show, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, depression, anxiety associated with excessive social media use. Uh, studies show that in our adolescence as well. Um, the U.S. Surgeon General has likened, you know, the loneliness and lack of friendship that we're seeing right now to smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Our life expectancy in the U.S. has now reached a low of 76. It's 85 in Japan. Um, and so I think that, you know, with social media, it's really about making sure that, you know, your relationship with it is serving you. So, for example, I, I always tell people, take self-inventory of your habits. I, I don't know if the Dunkin' Donut New York people in this room might appreciate this, but as a girl from North Carolina, you know, I love me a good Krispy Kreme donut. And you put that sucker in the... <laughs> you put that, to that yeah. You put that sucker in the microwave for like 10 seconds. <laughs> Slap it. The glaze one? Yes. <laughs> and... <laughs> and Should have known that. <sighs> Next time I, I see you. I could eat two, three, four of those and it's equally slapping, right? And then, but like 10 minutes after that fourth, I'm not feeling so great. I'm like, man, I shouldn't have eaten that fourth. That's how scrolling Instagram made me feel. And I realized about myself and about myself. And so what do I do? I'm on Instagram today. I purged like all my users. I mean, mm -hmm. all my followers. I had like tens and thousands of followers and I started from scratch because the person I was on Instagram four years ago, I didn't, I, that wasn't me. Um, and now I, I'll post, I'll engage with comments, but I have no like notifications and I never scroll. So, you know, I think first is first taking self inventory of what your habits are and making sure that they're serving you. You know, I, I have spoken at a number of companies throughout this book tour, LVMH, Wells Fargo, Chase, Disney, I mean, a ton. KKR and Flatiron today. KKR and Flatiron today. <laughs> and um, people will tell me, they're like, oh my God, you know, I, I opened TikTok and then like five hours later, it was like 2 a.m. And I'm like, you are 35 years old. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you don't got work to do or like, you know? Yeah. And so I think that that's another thing. <laughs> when we get into these rabbit holes and we can't stop, that's a like... It's like a crackhead thing a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like you got to reel that in and make sure that you, you have inventory 
um, of what you're doing. And the last thing I'll say is, is make sure we have the right boundaries around social media. Dr. Brene Brown, who I reference in the book many times, and that's my, that's my boo. I, if people, <laughs> people are like, who can you have, you know, who would you have lunch with, dead yeah. or alive? I mean, it's not Jesus himself, it's Dr. Brene Brown. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, she says, she talks about how we live in this era of scarcity mm-hmm. and how the first thing we think about in the morning is, man, I didn't get enough sleep. And the last thing we think about before our head hits a pillow is, man, I didn't get enough done today. Mm-hmm. And when are we doom scrolling? Oftentimes, when we wake up in the morning before bed. And so when you combine that doom scrolling uh, and that like cure, consuming someone else's highlight reel with not enough, not enough, not enough, not enough. That's not a great combination. Right. So I always tell people also take an hour into your day off social media, an hour before you go to bed, just to make sure you're starting and ending your day grounded on your two feet and in your own life and in your own head. So, um, um, the founder of a company called Squad, which is, um, I don't have the right tagline, but it's about helping your friends stay connected. Um, and what would you say to the person here that's like, so it sounds like, you know, you're trying, you build a company that's like solving your own problem, something you're passionate about, something that you would utilize on your own. Um, what would you say to someone that's like, you know, is passionate about certain things, but like they don't know how to like build a project or build a company around it? And so I would do a slight correction that squad is actually about you staying connected to your friends. So I don't really believe in the concept of groups as much like group chats, group, group texts and things like that, in part because you have a lot of lurkers there and you don't have the same relationship with everyone in the group. Right. So they're all the group chats I'm in. I don't really say anything. I'm in one group chat right now with like um, my like friend and her bridesmaids. And I don't talk because I don't really like them like that. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? Her bridesmaids. But I talk to her every day. And so squad is, you know, that's dynamically built around you. So if I say, hey, David, do you want to be in my squad? You say, yes, we're in each other's squad. I say, hey, Bobby, do you want to be my squad? He says, yes, we're in each other's squad. But David and Bobby don't know each other you would never see each other, interact with yeah. each other on the platform. And so um, it's really about capturing the power of friendship. But for people who are passionate about something and don't know where to start, I always tell people just take the first step. You know, I think people assume that they have to have everything figured out. We, no, none of us know anything. We're making it up every day as we go along. And I think that a lot of people are scared to take that first mm-hmm. step. So whether it's prototyping, whether it's focus groups, whether it's, um, you know, there's a lot of network th- networking that goes into building a company as well and kind of corralling people around your idea. But whatever that is, take that first step and kind of take the plunge. And I don't think we have to have it all figured out on day one. Um, does anybody have any uh, question so far? Hey, so quick question. We talk a lot about the individual, their relationship with social media, but at the same time, there is like a community aspect. So what is your take on you know, if you are a person who's looking to be on social media less, but you're part of a community who doesn't necessarily share kind of that same feeling as you, like, how do you navigate that? A community, I mean, if you find community that provides value to you, engage in that, you know, I still do think that it's, it's important to mine our 
um, habits and understand what habits serve us and don't serve us. But I don't, again, I'm not a social media abolitionist, right? I'm just literally in the camp of we have built up a lot of passive habits where we use it excessively without understanding how it makes us feel about ourselves and our lives. And so if you find community there, go be a part of that community. And I I still think it's it's just important to, I tell people to do kind of a, a kind of a quarterly or monthly check-in of, hey, what am I following, right? Because sometimes you want to switch it up. The person that you were friends with in high school that is like, you know, weird now, you may not want to follow them anymore, <laughs> right? And so, and then follow things that serve you and then mind your habits around it. Hi. Uh, so to build off of what you're sharing here and actually kind of connected to Rachel's question as well, what do you think people are getting or think they're getting from spending a lot of time on social media that they could notice and then pause and replace that behavior with one of the many excellent suggestions you're making today? I think social media was created with, the, with positive intentions. It was created with the intention of connection. It just kind of morphed into a lot of other things. And so, I mean, I think that what people think they're getting is connection. You know, I was on Instagram, not Instagram, I was on Facebook in college, right? And it looked very different. Like, and it was actually kind of fun. You know, I'm I'm a big UNC Tar Heels fan. So if there's anyone here from Duke tonight, you can leave. Um, and so we, I would like, and we had like all these like random groups and things like that, but I think what they think they're getting is is a connection. And I think that, you know, what it can be replaced with is actual connection because, you know, Kevin Systrom, who's the founder of Instagram, did a podcast with Kara Swisher two weeks ago. Mm. And what he said in that podcast was that Instagram has morphed into something that was never his intention. He said that his own friends don't post on Instagram anymore because they feel their lives aren't post worthy. And that was not what his intention was. And so that's a founder, right? uh, Of the platform basically being like, this is morphed into something that I never intended for it to be. Um, You know, I think that tells you kind of how far we've gotten away from that connection or that kind of entertainment. And so I actually think it's about, you know, honestly, make the phone cool again. You know, we are in a society right now where if you don't text somebody before you call them to tell them that you're te- calling them, <laughs> then they're like, oh, my God, are you a serial killer? Did somebody die? You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, I, I make a habit. I talk to at least one of my friends every day. Mm. I just pick up the phone and I call them. And so I think that I get so much out of that. My goddaughter will FaceTime me. You know, I'm actually Caribbean from St. Kitts originally. So I have, I have two goddaughters, goddaughters down there. And so that's what I kind of replace it with. And I find that, you know, it's, it, I find that it's actually less about how to navigate social media. And it's more about how do you center the joy in your life mm. and center joy as a lifestyle, because once you center joy as a lifestyle, social media just becomes a thing on the side that you use when you feel like it, but not something that's so innately ingrained in, into your habits. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a theory called uh, Mean World Syndrome, where someone who watches, I think it was like 20 hours of Law and Order every week, actively thinks the world is 30% more dangerous than it actually is. 
Um, this is a study done a while ago. This is before social media. I've long believed that media consumption can shape our perception and in turn our reality. People who are consuming mass amounts of social media, whether it be influencer content, um, just like really cool trips, cooking, etc. How do you think this is actually shaping perception of the world around it? What do you think are some long-term effects that might be caused from it? I think it is actually um, making people think that others are a lot happier than they actually are and that their feelings of sadness or their feelings of loneliness at any given point in time are such an anomaly that they feel embarrassed by it and they say, I'm the only one going through this. You know, I actually had a friend um, that I recently muted because, uh, you know, she was like posting about this really dope trip with her and her boyfriend. She posted this one thing with a Shakespeare monologue and all the things. And I was like, ooh, double tap girl, yes, you know. And she came back to Brooklyn, brought over a bottle of wine to her apartment, and she was like crying. And I was like, yo, it was good. And she was like, oh my God, that was the worst trip ever, you know? <laughs> and she was like, I'm like, but that's not what you said at all. <laughs> and she was like, I know, but that was like the only time we really could take a photo without like killing each other. And so when I when I, I think about that, right, they were in Costa Rica for like five days and they had like five minutes of that. <laughs> and she, you know, and so I think that we are so conditioned as a society beyond social media to share our successes, never our struggles, never our failures, because those aren't celebrated. Those aren't validated. Um, we see that in school. I mean, you don't you, like no one says, hey, you got a D. Great for trying. You know what I'm saying? And so um, I think that. People think, A, that any of their feelings of distress are an anomaly and they feel really bad about that more than they should. Um, and then there are other things too, like, you know, and it's, this is beyond social media, it's also the media in general. Like, people, you you hear people say, oh my God, New York is the most dangerous place. And I'm like, bro, I literally walk by myself on the street like three o'clock in the morning. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's fine. You know, and so um, I think that part of it is also our excessive media and news culture. And that's actually been directly tied to unprecedented levels of anxiety in our teenagers. Yeah. Hello. Um, my question for you is that, as you probably know, the whole remote work thing, I'm a tech worker, I work remotely. I find myself at like two in the afternoon, just like, refreshing like LinkedIn or Twitter or just like compulsively throughout the day, especially when I don't necessarily have meetings or I'm not necessarily interacting with people or Slack channels are not going off with a million messages. What feeling do you think people are trying to kind of like suffice when we compulsively check things multiple times a day? Um, so, so that's my question. Social media has done a really great job of instilling FOMO and us so the fear of missing out and we i think you know there's a there's a we just want to be on top of it we want to know we want to see you know there was a lot of news today in like the last few hours and i was like whoa oh okay people were waiting for that pin to drop i didn't know anything about it but i think that's one part but i also think it's such a habit right and i think that you know for me when I got off social media, it was also a big part of when I wrote my book. Mm. Um, I, I, there were other things I was doing. I was um, reading more and picking up 
uh, picking up more books. I was meditating more. I was investing more intentionally in a bunch of other things that I wanted to try, right? Um, and I've actually given myself limits, but I'm at a point right now where I don't use it that much where I need to give myself limits, but I was that person where I was like refreshing, refreshing, refreshing. And the one thing I also will say is that my friends who go through, you know, I, myself, I've gone through like depressive episodes, but my friends who have been at their lowest point, they're the ones on social media the most and I always notice that they're the ones who are sharing the most in our group chats. They're the ones who, as soon as I open it, it's like, this person's on. And I'm like, bro, you're literally in a meeting with the most senior person on the planet right now. What are you doing? You know? Mm -hmm. And so um, I think it's a combination of FOMO and just a combination of, like I said, passive habits that have been uh, developed that we just have to kind of intentionally like shift back or change. Okay. Um, talked about intentionality of friendship how do we like i've seen a lot of benefit of like finding out about people online like how do you how do you kind of think about this idea of like social media and twitter and stuff like that can be good to like learn about people but then what do you mean like about people like about barack obama or something no i mean no more about um people for that like I interview on the podcast, I'm like, they start tweeting and I, I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. And then I'm like, hey, maybe would you be interested in talking on the podcast? So like, I've utilized the podcast, uh, utilized some forms of social media, mostly Twitter as a way to like discover people to then um, hopefully get to know more about. But how do you think about this way of like, how could we use social media as a way to like learn about people, but then... If you want to learn about people online, do that. And the same thing I said to Rachel. Like, if you find community and you like a community online, do that. Like, I'm not... I have no skin in this game. And I think I should give you context on why I wrote this book. Because I think without the context, it's kind of confusing about why I say some of these things. So I grew up in a really big Caribbean family. And, you know, my dad, old school immigrant engineer, his philosophy was like, Isa, if you can't build it, you shouldn't be using it. So in the CompUSA Circuit City days, he would take me to buy the parts of a computer and I would build my computers from the time I was seven, like a weirdo. And, you know, that morphed into me loving to build. I got my first job at 14 years old as an organic chemistry researcher at UNC Chapel Hill, working for the department chair of chemistry, doing research, winning all sorts of state, national, international awards, all the things. And I was checking all the boxes that my parents wanted me to check, right? This is before social media. But then, you know, after studying chemistry at Hampton, biochem at Cornell, I, and then actually being the youngest known published chemist in the world at 19, um, I, I, I fell into Wall Street via my MBA at MIT where I focused on economics and I, I'd start doing all the, that achievement stuff thing yeah. again, right? 30 under 30s, 40 under 40s, top 100s, whatever. But it was different because in that moment, that was when social media started to become a personal branding tool, not a, not a connection tool. And it's when it really democratized the concept of personal branding. And so what did I do? I was like, oh, I'm getting these awards. Let me post it. And people were leaning into that. And I was getting validated by all these people that I'd never laughed in the same room with. And I think I got caught up in the validation I was getting, so much so that I, I was actually forgetting to live my life and invest in my life. And so this particular year, my parents sponsored a bus trip for kids to visit colleges every year. And the bus ran off a straight road flipped over and ejected both my parents out the front window. And my dad didn't survive that. 
And when you when I hit rock bottom in life, to for that to be exacerbated by the fact that I had neglected the stabilizing relationships and forces in my life in lieu of positioning my life, it was a horrible place to be. And when I kind of got enough therapy and had enough processing to talk about it, I realized that, wow, I was far from the only person having these feelings of isolation and loneliness because I was conflating consumption with connection on social media. And so I left JP Morgan, having had huge roles there, running multi-billion dollar initiatives, doing like five to six billion dollars worth of products during my time there, and started Squad. Because my philosophy was that we didn't need more broadcast platforms. The white space in social was for deepening. Talking to and staying connected with a handful of people every day, investing in that, that would be the source of joy. And doing it in an easy and fun way to reestablish and re-energize our habits around friendship. And so that's why I started Squad. And that was my journey, my own personal journey with social media, my ups and my downs. And so again, I'm not an abolitionist. I'm not even a social media strategist. <laughs> In fact, I'm more of a friendship expert than anything else. But I do think that we are at a place right now where sometimes it's just easier to scroll on our phone. Mm-hmm. And we've lost that sense of really investing in those friendships that bring us joy and, and with intentionality. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that story. Um, um, does anybody have follow-up questions to that? Kind of do. I'm yeah. Trying to, I'm trying to materialize this. Yeah. I'm thinking about Perfect. it. Yeah. Um, Talk it out. But I think, yeah, I think the, what you're saying around like this idea of like having really valuable like kind of infrastructure of like relationships that are there to support you when like trauma or like like the world comes at you fast. Um, like, what do you do? Sounds like you have some processes that you already have started this. Like, um, yeah, what do you think is like the early the? It sounds like I guess when you're thinking about this process, it's like your your week. Your, your weekly time that you block out. Maybe it's like, how do you go deeper into that? Like, what is, I'm like a very process-oriented person. And so <laughs> what do you like to do when you, in addition to that, like, are there other things that you like to do to, to build that infrastructure in your life that like allows you to maintain those really deep relationships and cultivate them over time? Yeah, I think for me, one of the things that I realize is that everyone has their needs, and your needs shift and evolve and change, and we just have to be in tune with those. Most of us are not. One of the things I really need in my friends is empathy. Mm. When a particular friend is not being empathetic or is not kind of leaning into the friendship with empathy, I start to really feel anxious because I, I've realized that you know, I, I kind of go all in in my friendships. And if I'm like, I have my veil up, it's hard to be vulnerable with someone who's not empathetic towards you. And so, for example, with me, you know, again, I think that we live in a society and a, we just have a way of life where we're on E all the time. And we've learned to survive on that. Mm. We, we kind of get to the end of the week and then we like fill it up like one eighth of a tank. 
and then we like get back to Sunday and then Sunday night we're like, oh my God, I can't believe it came so fast, right? But one thing I learned was that when I invested in my joy and I was really intentional about that, my tank wouldn't go to E so fast or I wasn't like consistently going on E. And so for example, I kind of also go with my gut. I know you're a very process oriented person, so let me give you a process. Um, you know, every week, rank one to five, how burnt out you feel. And like five, the most burnt out one, not. And right within, like another, like right beside it, what are some of the things that you did that week, activity wise, and who you talk to the most? And I think what you'll see over time is that the friendships that are refueling you, these aren't transactional friendships, these are refueling friendships you'll see a pattern of where you've invested time in certain people and how refilled you are. And when I start to feel like I'm in a place with one of my friends where it's not giving what I need it to give or I'm not giving what they need it to give, we go to joint therapy. So I, I go to my therapist once every two weeks and I bring along a friend. If I'm like, yo, we need to talk Dr. Mel because this thing right here is just like, weird right now you know and so um so i think friendships part of that activities the other part of that so i i'm as i mentioned i'm a skydiver i'm a competitive skydiver and i'm actually training to compete in the 2024 u.s nationals and um i skydive at least once every two weeks and that is where i find my meditative space that is where i find my mental reset in fact, you probably don't want to talk to me if I haven't skydived in a long time. What are those things for you, right? And so I think from a process perspective, like doing that burnout check-in kind of once a week and documenting the people you talk to the most or where you were investing your people energy and your activity energy, you'll start to see the trends. Can I follow-up question? Yeah, sure. Um, just a quick follow-up question, I think. And you're going to ask, like, when's the next skydiver? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It sounds like, yeah, it's quite rejuvenated. Tomorrow. Nice. I love it. Yeah. Um, I, well, I think one of the things that I haven't heard really anyone else talking about this, which I think is interesting, um, but this idea of taking your friends to therapy and like having that mediator, that sounds really interesting. Can you talk about when you started that and like what that's like? I started it with my mom like three years ago, but she had no boundaries. Well, she just, like, I don't know if you guys have, like, immigrant parents, but, child, let me tell you, like, sometimes some boundaries be, like, I'm, like, yo, I'm 30-something. They don't care. You know, mm. I I literally pay my own bills, bro. I pay my own taxes. You don't get a say. You don't get to just show up in New York when you feel like it. And so um, my I took my mom to therapy. Um, my therapist knows about everybody in my life like people I like, don't like, all the things. And so it wasn't like a surprise, but she actually suggested it initially. And I was like, okay, cool. And so my therapy sessions are like 1.5 times the length when I bring somebody in and I'll talk to them about like what I talk to my therapist. But um, it actually is really helpful to have someone in the middle um, who's like listening, translating. Um, I think that for me with my with my friends, um, It'll just, it's, it's like my friends are like my closest friends I've been friends with for 20 years. 
you know, there's a lot of stuff we've gone through in 20 years, mm-hmm. a lot of this and that and up and down and side to side. Um, but the process is generally finding like I'm hitting a wall and growing our friendship or I'm hitting a wall or feeling like I'm not being heard or they don't feel like they're being heard. And we've tried it a few times, but it hasn't really gone anywhere, the conversation. But we love each other to death and we know that each other have the best of intentions. Then it's like, all right, let's go see Dr. Mel. You know what I'm saying? And um, I love it. Like, I... I say I date my friends. One time I said that online and people were like, you shouldn't be romantic with your friends. And I'm like, that's not what I mean. I mean that like, I know my friends love languages. Like I have one friend who's a big gifts person, one friend who's a big words of affirmation person. And I know how to pour into them in the way that, you know, they need to be poured into. And, you know, as it pertains to, you know, our friendship, it just requires an investment. But I will tell you every time I've done it, and it's not like, I mean, I don't run into these problems like all the time, but like, you know, and yeah. I feel so much better and we feel so much better and we feel like we've been able to get through something to get to the next level. Um, is there anything else you want to share online? Um, yeah, really quickly. Um, and again, I'm not a social media abolitionist, but one, one thing I do uh, witness, especially with women, is that there's a lot of... Um, self-doubt or feeling lesser than when you're comparing your story to what you see online. And I just want, especially on the the end of Women's History Month, for people to know that, you know, you are amazing. And there's a lot of beauty in walking in your own power, walking in your own truth. Uh, There's no one you can be but you. There's this like sign on my childhood uh, door that says, why try to fit in when you were born to stand out? And I think so many playbooks that we see, not just on social media, but just online and out there, we, we find ourselves trying to take, do someone else's journey, take their steps. And I, I just think that there's a lot of beauty in our individuality and uniqueness. And I think we should always lean into that. Love that. Love that. Love that. Um, and where can people learn more about the book and stay in touch? Um, IsaWatson.com. Everything is there. So I-S-A-W-A-T-S-O-N. Uh, dot com and I'm Isa D Watson everywhere. I can't say I'm super active, but I'm there <laughs> on social media. <laughs> All right, let's give it up for Isa. Hey, friend, thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. Would love to hear what you learned and what you enjoyed. Um, you can find me on Twitter. LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever is best for you. And as a reminder, I'm just one email away as well. This episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which includes the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much. 